0: there and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast and uh, we're back with an awesome episode today on fertility but looking at it through the lens of Chinese medicine. Uh, Before I introduce my guest, um, I do just have a couple of quick announcements uh, and I want you to check the show notes out for this. Um, Many of you practitioners, so if you're not a practitioner you can just hit the skip forward 30 second button. Um, But many practitioners have signed up for my Digestive Health uh, Masterclass. This program is now online, 100% instant access to everything. Um, I ran a special and I'm sort of phasing things or stepping things up as we head into the Thanksgiving uh, long weekend and Black Friday. So uh, you can check out more details on that. But essentially, it is $500 off uh, half price right now. And that price will be increasing Uh, as of this coming Sunday, which is December the 1st. Okay, so Sunday, midnight. Uh, Check out the show notes uh, for the Digestive Health Masterclass. That is for practitioners only. And um, I think that's about it, actually, from my side. So uh, let's hop into today's show. And uh, my guest today is Heidi Brockmeyer. Heidi is a licensed practitioner of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Um, She has a long history of helping women grow their families and is considered a fertility um, expert. Uh, Working in her clinic in San Diego, uh, she basically teaches women how to get pregnant faster, healthier, easier, and uh, in an affordable way uh, via her fertility activation method. Uh, I think for those of you tuning into today's episode, I think you're going to find it very, very fascinating. Uh, we get into so many different areas with regards to fertility, um, right the way from you know really explaining what a normal menstrual cycle looks like, how things actually work, and then moving forward into some of the signs and symptoms that might suggest something is out of balance. Uh, we look at things from both a biophysical or biochemical uh, standpoint, but also from an energetic standpoint, uh, we talk about things like acupressure points and meridians uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I think you'll also find it interesting that some of the dietary stuff that we touch on is is perhaps a little bit contrary or counter to what you go- what you find going on out there. Um, you know especially with regards to things like intermittent fasting um, keto etc etc um, so yeah I think it's a, it's a fascinating episode I definitely learned a bunch um, you know many of you know that I specialize in, in hormones as one of my key areas in clinic uh, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and you know we don't just talk we talk mostly about women's health and fertility but we do spend a good chunk of time in this episode touching on men's health as well and so um, I think I think it's a very well-rounded complete um, podcast here and I hope that you get a ton of value out of this and if you are having um, issues with fertility uh, perhaps you want to just look Heidi up you know go to her website you can check out the show notes and uh, look into her program that she offers um, you know she's got a ton of really awesome reviews uh, especially from women who are 35 plus um, who've been trying for many years sometimes uh, to to get pregnant so um, yeah I'm gonna leave it at that uh, so welcome to the show Heidi Hey, Heidi, welcome to the show. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Hey, Brad, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, um you know, I was I was checking some of your work out and just looking at what you do and I'm really excited to chat with you today because I haven't really done anything on fertility but one of the areas that I do sort of specialize in in clinic is hormones. And mm-hmm. so I'm really um interested in in getting the sort of Chinese medicine perspective Um, with regards to menstrual cycle, fertility, women's health, um, and so forth. Um, But perhaps for our listeners, uh, maybe just give us a a, a bit of a lightning-fast intro to yourself. Like, how did you get into all of this? What exactly um, do you do in your clinic? And then we'll go from there.
1: Sounds good. So, um, I got into acupuncture when um, I lived in Korea for a year after college and I took a distance herbal studies learning course and I just fell in love with natural medicine and the idea that nature has all of these resources for us to heal ourselves without having to turn to pharmaceuticals and so forth and and just rely on them as a last minute last like resource and then um, after I graduated from acupuncture school I I had, I got pregnant when I was in acupuncture school. I had my son, he was probably about two, two or three at the time. And I didn't know that I necessarily wanted to specialize in fertility specifically, but I had always been drawn to women's health, supporting women's health, because um, in my experience using Chinese medicine and acupuncture, it had just done such wonders for me. And like, regulating my cycle and making my periods more comfortable and i was just like this is amazing i this should be the first place that women um, and girls go to when uh, to to manage this otherwise they're just put on hormones and that just adds more fuel to the fire Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and um i was invited to join a practice that was really quite established and really busy. And the owner of the practice, she was going to go on maternity leave indefinitely. Um, And uh, when I just kind of cold called her clinic, and uh, she was kind of going to semi retire. So she invited me to join the practice. And it was a thriving fertility practice. And I was a little intimidated at first, um, because there was just so much to learn in terms of also understanding the you know Western conventional approach and integrating the two. And it just, it felt like an overwhelming specialty. But I also was just like, well, this is really exciting. This is amazing. And I had two mentors who um, they had both, you know, been in practice for over 10 years. So I was able to hit the ground running. And, you know, within the first year, I was start seeing up to 30 patients a day. And I just wow fell in love with the specialty because it's so incredibly rewarding to help women and couples grow their families and the patients are just incredibly committed which is really refreshing because as you know being a practitioner one of the challenges of practicing is and you know being able to help people is you know relies on how committed they are how compliant they are Um, and fertility patients are just so devoted Um, so it was a joy to work with them and it's incredibly rewarding and And now I actually am not, um, I don't have an, I had my own practice for 10 years, but I have now taken my practice basically to an online program. And, you know, instead of teaching acupuncture, protocols are, or doing the acupuncture protocols that I would do clinically, I teach women how to give themselves the acupressure using the clinical protocols that I used, as well as all of the other tools of Chinese medicine, because it's so much more than just the acupuncture alone. It's, you know, there's, mm. there's a lot of tools that can be done um, at home on a daily basis, which is really what makes the biggest difference for women to, you know, is what they're doing in their day-to-day lives, not just their visits to the practitioner. Um, So my practice is online and then I have weekly group coaching calls as well to support them in using that program. So that's that's the gist. (laughs)
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. And um you know, I think it's a great uh, a great segue into many things that we're going to talk about today. Uh obviously I do want to talk about some of the tools and that that you use, but um have you noticed over the last while, I mean, you've been in practice for a while now. Have you noticed that um rates of infertility have been increasing?
1: Um it's hard for me in, to think. in other words,
0: in other words, what i'm what I'm getting at is like is your do you feel like your practice is busier now than it ever was, or are you seeing more people because I don't really deal with fertility personally. Um, uh, you know, I've had a couple of people here and there, but but for the most part, um, I don't have a good gauge on what the fertility rates are or infertility rates are um, out there?
1: I think that it's always been pretty high since I have started practice. so, in the US, I believe it's one in every eight couples that has trouble. And I, that's
0: been okay, well.
1: relatively consistent since I started practice.
0: Okay. And so, um, you know, we'll get into some of the causes and and all of that, but I think what would be good for our listeners, um, you know, we've got a very mixed uh, audience here. Some people are very, very well-versed and some people are maybe not as well-versed. Perhaps you can explain to us, um, you know, what does a normal healthy menstrual cycle look like? And then we can sort of work off that. A
1: normal healthy cycle would... um... First of all, you'd have about three to five days of substantial flow. So you want enough flow so that you're having to wear a tampon or, you know, something to, preferably not a tampon, but you're, you're something more than a panty liner to absorb it, but not so heavy that you're having to like rush to the bathroom every hour Mm -hmm. or so and you're Mm -hmm. leaking through. So just, you know, healthy, moderate flow. Um, The color of the flow should be a a fresh red, not, you know, you, you might have a little bit of brown or a little bit of like purplish at the, as it tapers off, but for, for the most part, for the majority of it to be a fresh red color with um, a consistency that's a little bit thicker than blood but not like mucusy not stringy not clumpy but also not watery and um, you don't want to see too many clots like a few small clots maybe pea size or less than pea size is relatively normal but if you're seeing a lot of clots then that's a sign of an imbalance and you don't want to have too many symptoms like severe cramping, um, severe low back pain. You might have some mild symptoms, but it should be few um, to no symptoms. And you want the period to just start rather than having spotting for a day or Mm, two days mm. leading up to it. You want the flow to just kick in. Um, And then there might be a bit of spotting as it tapers off, but you don't want that spotting to go on for, you know, two, three days and so on. So that's... Mm -hmm the summary of a health okay. period.
0: Yeah, okay. And so then, so so for, you know, because I think at least this is what I've experienced, um, you know, having, like, I deal a lot with hormones in clinic, more from a sort of functional medicine, nutrition uh, standpoint, and usually together with, with GI stuff and autoimmune disease and whatnot. But um, I think that a lot of women out there You know, perhaps don't necessarily, um, how would I frame this? They don't necessarily think that some of the signs and symptoms that you or I might classify as being an imbalance, because they're so common. um, A lot of women just think that that's normal, right? Uh, you know, well, that that's just how it is with everyone, or all of my friends have these types of issues, so that must just be normal. And I think, um, you know, maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, you know, there are some strong or clear indicators of imbalance. And perhaps you can share with us what some of those might be and what women can look out for.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Brett. I mean, because symptoms are so common, they are considered normal. I mean, just like with so many health issues, like you know going to the bathroom how frequently somebody has a bowel movement what's normal and also what's normal to one person is abnormal to another person but people get used to it and they think that that it's normal because they're just used to it for them so there's definitely kind of mm-hmm. this broad range of what normal is perceived to be and so that can be kind of tricky because women don't necessarily recognize that um, they're having symptoms and that's unfortunate because then those symptoms can go unaddressed for a long period of time until they develop into something, a more chronic issue, um, like an autoimmune condition or, you know, fibroids, endometriosis that just proliferates. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess some like major things to look out for, um, well, you know, certainly if you're having, you know, Pretty severe cramping. If you're having to take Advil or any kind of over-the-counter or even prescription drug, obviously any kind of pain relieving drug during your period, that um, would indicate that you should go get some support to relieve that discomfort for two reasons. One, having that much discomfort is a symptom and um, can be helped. Not so it can, not only for you, you know a better quality of life, but also because it's it indicates that there's an imbalance. Um, and it can be, you know, a variety of imbalances that would lead to, it's not just one thing that would lead to cramping. It depends on what your situation is. But also if you're having to take these over-the-counter medications on a regular basis, they're hormone disruptors. So they're going to make the situation worse and throw your hormones off and so on. So you definitely want to get off of those um, and you want to relieve those cramps and you want to address what's going on behind those cramps. So that's a big one. Um, Seeing a lot of clots is definitely an an indication of an imbalance. Um, You know, at the very least, it's showing that there's poor circulation in the uterus because you're not able to... Um, thoroughly you're not thoroughly flushing the lining of the uterus so you have old stale tissue in there and or you could have some bleeding in there that keeps forming these clots so that's something that you would want to address because you definitely want to have a fresh healthy lining whether you're trying to get pregnant or not because um, it can you might have polyps forming and and um, a lot of times this tissue that's stagnant In the uterus as a result of, you know, toxic estrogens in the system, estrogen dominance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that causes all sorts of problems. So it's not something you want to uh, leave unaddressed. You you want to, like, flush out that, help the body, really support the body in excreting the toxic estrogen that's in the system. You know, we're we're exposed to a lot of estrogens in our environment, or if you, were ever on, you know, any kind of birth control pill, or if you've taken fertility drugs before, um, we're kind of hit in a lot of different directions as women um, being exposed to these synthetic estrogens that can really throw off our our endocrine system. So, that would be another one.
0: Mm-hmm. Do do you do you feel like um you know things like breast tenderness and bloating and stuff like that? I mean, are those fairly benign, or do you feel, at least from a Chinese medicine perspective, like are those indicators that something's out of whack?
1: Yes, absolutely. Breast tenderness, uh, bloating, headaches—that's a really big one. Um, low back pain or achiness in general, digestive symptoms um, related to your cycle. So sometimes it'll happen maybe the week or so before your period or during your period but it could really happen at any time during your cycle and still be related to the ebb and flow your hormonal shifts or you know hmm. imbalanced hormones or things that are going on with your cycle i mean that's kind of the the blessing and a curse of a woman's cycle is that our cycles are basically they talk to us you know it's it can be harder in my experience you know treating men and women it can be harder to diagnose a man because he doesn't have a cycle. So, uh, the, the cycle reveals so much. So it, it makes it, it it, it makes it a lot clearer what we need to address, what the pattern is. So that's a good thing, but, um, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it's important to address them.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I like what you, what you said about, um, can happen at any point in your cycle, because I think that for uh, a lot of women, you know, we are pretty well versed with PMS, you you Mm. know, so something happening seven to 10 days before your cycle, but perhaps something happens at time of ovulation, perhaps something happens shortly after your period or at any other time, and perhaps um, you might not piece those together. You know, perhaps if it was consistently at every single time you were ovulating for three or four months in a row, perhaps you would clue in, but otherwise you might not. And so I think it's, um, you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, a lot of people might be unaware of that.
1: Yeah, and what's really cool about the Chinese medicine approach is that we um, we have a way of deciphering why that is or that information. Like Hmm. uh, if you're getting a headache, like routinely before your period versus during your period versus after your period, that tells us three different things. For instance, if it's before your period, that would be kind of um, stuck energetic flow. That is, you know, typical of a lot of PMS symptoms we related to the liver energy so like a stuck liver energy in the liver from a Chinese medicine perspective has a lot to do with balancing hormones and regulating the menstrual cycle so the the energy before your period it can get it as it's like building before the release if that energy isn't flowing smoothly and a lot of times this can be due to stress or a lot of different factors um, but that will result in bloating headaches breast tenderness and so forth if it's during your period this can be a result of um, the the blood being stuck and not releasing and so that's causing sort of the, the energy to get back backed up and go in the wrong direction and you know cause a headache if it's after your period it's because it, um, most likely because you're depleted you've lost this blood it took a lot of energy to hmm. release your uterine lining and so forth, so you're depleted of that blood and energy. And so it's more of what we would consider a deficiency a headache rather than a headache caused by an excess buildup of energy that's stuck. So hmm. it's important significant when the symptoms occur.
0: Yeah, and I think it's very interesting, especially for me, you know, operating perhaps in a slightly more Western um, type of model where, you know, we don't really look at things like that. But um, an Ayurvedic perspective does look at things like that. But Mm -hmm. um, I'm always, you know, I had uh, a friend of mine, uh, Matt Walton, on the show to talk about Chinese medicine and basically just a a crash course in what Chinese medicine is. And I really learned a lot from that episode because one thing I really took away from that was – you know yes, Chinese medicine is really looking at those five elements you know that make up all of our our being essentially, but um the one thing I took away from it was that it 's more about the flow of energy um, around the body. Which, which Ayurveda doesn't really look at things like that um, to, to that degree anyway. And the other thing that I took away was the fact that, you know, how Chinese medicine has really evolved with time, whereas I feel like a lot of the Ayurvedic teachings are sort of stuck back in time. You know, they're 5,000 years old and they haven't changed. Mm. Um, you know you know what I mean? So just hearing mm-hmm. you speak about that, I, I, I like that a lot um, because I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And certainly I don't look at it um, through that lens uh, at all. Um I don't know if you want to share anything about Chinese medicine relative to fertility. Like do, is this stuff you want to talk about um, with, with that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the yin yang symbol. It's in, it's most people say yang like yin yang, but it's actually pronounced yang. Um, And so yin and yang are kind of these opposite energies. Yin is masculine energy where yang is, um, or I'm sorry, yin is feminine energy and yang is masculine energy. Yin is uh, cold and moves slowly and is um, receptive where the yang energy is warming and it's action. And um, yin is more substance, it's form, where yang is the catalytic energy that transforms the form Um, So, when it comes to your cycle, it's kind of, Chinese medicine actually breaks the cycle down into four phases, but for all intents and purposes, we'll talk about the two phases of the cycle, which, you know, most people are familiar with the follicular phase, which is the first half of the cycle. It's called follicular because that's when your follicle, which holds the egg, you know, is growing the egg and preparing it for ovulation. And then... So it's from your period, day one of your period, up through ovulation, and this is when and the hormone estrogen is dominant and estrogen is a cooling hormone so this is the yin phase of the cycle because this is when there's more you're rebuilding after you've um, lost your lining so your body is gathering the resources to to build a new lining it's gathering the resources um, to support the healthy maturation of an egg and get it ready for ovulation so it's not as much action going on there's a bit more stillness and just um you know this building and it's cooler and then um after from after ovulation through day one of your through the end of that cycle right before day one of your next period that's the luteal phase and this is you know you at the time of ovulation the eggs released and then then, um, when it's fertilized, assuming it gets fertilized and travels down the fallopian tube and implants and so forth, this is the yang time of the cycle. So, there's a lot more action taking place. There's a lot of catalytic activity going on, a lot of transformation. You know, the, the follicle bursts and fertilization happens, and then the egg moves and the implantation. So, a lot of action is happening. And, and this is the progesterone dominant. Part of the cycle, so progesterone is the the warming hormone. So when you look at, if you've ever kept a basal body temperature chart um, or Mm -hmm. looked at one, you'll see that there's there's a wave. You know, and if you connect all the temperatures, you'll see that there's there's a shift right in the middle at ovulation. If it's like a textbook basal body temperature chart, and um, it's it it's lower in the follicular phase, and then it shifts and goes up to the um, in the luteal phase and then comes back down at the time of the period. So this wave is really similar to the wave in a yin-yang symbol. And the another principle of Chinese medicine based on the balance between yin and yang is that yin, once um, it, either energy come, kind of crescendos and reaches its fullest potential, it inevitably shifts into the other, its opposite energy. So as yin reaches its full potential, it shifts into yang, and then as yang reaches its full potential, it shifts back to yin. So at the time of ovulation, this is when yin has reached its full potential, and it shifts to yang. And then at the time of your period, that's when the yang has reached its full potential, assuming that you're not pregnant and shifts back to yin. And so it's wow. this, the, the, the female cycle is almost like uh, a yin-yang symbol in action.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I I, I like that. And right now as I'm sitting talking to you, I'm visualizing the yin yang um, symbol, you know, Um, and a lot of people forget, you know, you've got the black and the white, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's the the little circles inside. Yeah, and um, I yeah, I always I always love that because um, years ago I sort of learned you know we always talk about the opposites right but the the young always has a little bit of yin inside and the, and vice versa and that's what the little circles are and so just hearing you talk about the cycle and how it flows through the month um, it makes perfectly good sense and so anyway that's a, just a visual that that I get um, as as I hear you speaking about that.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, that's the one part I left out and that also applies to our cycle as well. So even though the luteal, luteal phase is predominantly yang, there's always still an element of yin. There's still going to be some yin energy in there and that, that maintains the balance. And the same thing with the yin half of the cycle. There's still going to, there still needs to be some yang energy, um, for, to facilitate that the that yin period and having that like just um subtle energy that little circle the smaller dot of the opposite energy within each of of the greater energy it's it kind of creates that magnetic force that keeps them in relationship to each other and what's really cool too is you know the female cycle is related to the to the moon cycle and the moon is another mm-hmm. example of that waxing and waning of yin and yang energy. So, that's just kind of a fun yeah, thing to think cool. about.
0: Yeah, yeah, neat. Um, so, uh, let's let's just hop into um, actual fertility, right? So, I think now we've sort of got a pretty good understanding of the cycle, how things work, um, how they should be, some signs and symptoms that things are maybe awry and out of balance, Let's really get into fertility itself. And what would you say are some of the, perhaps the root causes for fertility issues? Um, obviously, we're talking mostly about women. Perhaps I'll touch on men very briefly if you want. But I know that most of your experiences with women. So what do you feel are some of the main factors driving um, infertility?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm happy to bo- talk about both men and women. I think it's pretty important. Um, goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, our modern lifestyle it definitely affects things. There's kind of an idea that, Oh, probably infertility these days is the reason it's much higher than back in the day is because women are older. A lot of women are trying to get pregnant at an older age. And I think that, um, that is, A bit of a myth. I think that the numbers are a bit skewed. You uh, dare I say this? It's a whole other conversation, but I do think that um, (laughs) (laughs) conventional medicine is still has some um, like sexist uh, ideas behind it that aren't necessarily recognized. Um, Just because you wouldn't believe some of the things that I have heard doctors quite commonly tell well do, do
0: do tell i mean we're no strangers to controversy on the show so you okay. just let her rip and um, <laughs> i want to hear it
1: <laughs> all right well what happens is a lot, many times is that women go to a fertility clinic they're told that they need to do ivf because basically you know conventional fertility meant doctors, fertility medicine are not really interested in helping women get their cycles back on track and like they don't understand the cycles. In fact, a lot of the doctors will will say, throw those basal body temperature charts out. They don't mean anything. If a woman's like, well look, I've been charting, because most people what, when they're not conceiving, they're like, well, I better go to the doctor, thinking the doctor's gonna help them mm-hmm. like fix their fertility, but they're not interested in fixing their fertility. They're and they're and it's not necessarily their fault, it's just the medicine that they've learned. It's the tools that they have in their toolbox. They're they're what I say are like, oh, crap, medicine. Like, oh, crap, things have gotten bad. So we'll Mm -hmm. just kind of deal with the the symptoms of that and mask it and just push on through. So they're going to offer... Drugs and procedures. That's what they have in their toolbox. You know, maybe some like doctors are dialed in and maybe they'll refer out or maybe they'll, um, they know a bit about nutrition and make some recommendations, which is awesome, but the majority don't and so yeah. they're pushed into this whole path um and a lot of times the reason why women's cycles are off and they're having issues is because they've been on birth control for a long period of time and it's,
0: yes and i want you to talk about that so let's uh, come back to birth control pills but please carry on yeah, for now i'll
1: be happy to do that um and a lot of doctors will say oh birth control has no effect on your fertility which to me is just the most asinine idea ever because it's like if it, Causes you to not be able to get pregnant for years. How does that not have an effect on your fertility? Are you, and like, and there's also a lot of denial around, you know, the, the potential long term. Uh, risks of birth control as well as fertility drugs. And I don't want to alarm anybody who's listening, but it is important to be aware of this because, you know, studies do show that synthetic hormones, even if they're considered bioidentical, will put you at a higher risk for hormone-related cancers like breast cancer and and endometrial cancer and so on and so forth. Um, So it's definitely not something to be taken lightly, although doctors seem to take it very lightly. And so then when they're pushed into taking fertility drugs and doing IVF, it can make the situation worse for a lot of women because it was, uh, that hormones are what caused the problem in the first place. So you're just kind of adding more fuel to the fire in terms of just disrupting their endocrine system. And of course it's just not going to work for, you know, a good amount of women for a variety of reasons. Sometimes, I also feel that the fertility drugs are what killed the egg quality for women. So they might have a lot, a lot of like eggs, like a lot of uh, a, a good healthy ovarian reserve. So they do an ultrasound at the beginning of the cycle and they see that there's a lot of eggs that are potentially going to be ovulated that cycle. And they're like, Oh, you're a great candidate for IVF will p- pump you full of fertility drugs. And, and you know you will have a plenty of embryos, and so I've seen that happen. And then they they retrieve the embryos, and then they go to fertilize them, or they retrieve the eggs and go to fertilize them, and they just disintegrate. And they say, "This is where this is where you know the sexist part comes in." <laughs> and they say, "Oh well, your eggs must be bad." And it's never Fine. like, "Oh, maybe it's something that we did." <laughs> You know, it's like when they hit a wall with their approach, uh, for whatever reason, they tell the woman that it's because they're too old. It's because their eggs are bad and they have no eggs left. And, um, I've just seen that. And they've told so many women, you have, you know, a 1% chance, a 0% chance, a 3% chance, but then they've come to me and they got pregnant naturally a month later or two months later. I'm like, Oh, wow. I mean, I must be like Jesus or something, or, you know, those, <laughs> those stats were wrong. You know, like, where did they pull those stats from? And I think because there's this general cult, I don't know if it's even cultural, it's kind of like global. That's like, idea that, um, you know, women's fertility just like goes down the drain the second they hit 35, they can kind of rely on that to not be accountable to their own limitations. It's not that it's like, oh, it's okay. If you don't have any more answers, you have done the very best that you could possibly do with the tools in your toolbox. But rather than saying like, I don't have any more answers for you and I'm not sure, they, they'll just say, it's because of your age, it's because your eggs are battered. And, and women already feel like terrible. And then there's kind of this idea too, that it's just like, well, you know, men's, the quality of men's sperm isn't that important, that it can be bypassed by doing this procedure called ICSI, which they hand select um, microscopically, they hand select the best looking sperm to fertilize the egg for IVF. And, um, but, you know, studies have also shown that the better, the healthier the sperm, the um, you know this, you, the more likely you are for that IVF to to be successful, for implantation to happen, and it result in a live pregnancy. So, but they kind of just ignore that. And again, I think it's because the mm-hmm. the the toolbox is limited. But there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of research going into like, well, what about improving men? And forty percent of infertility cases are both male and female um, factor related. So it's something that's overlooked.
0: Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I mean, just take a look at the world around us. You, you know, I mean, there's plenty of data to show that sperm counts since World War II have dropped by 50%. You know, we know that there are environmental toxins, EMF radiation, um, stress, you know, alcohol. There's just so many things that can destroy sperm. Um, you know, fatty acid imbalance, like the list goes on and on. And you're right, you know, it's it's just something that I don't think we speak about as um in the world of fertility you know it's it's simply oh it must be the woman so therefore regulate the cycle do the whole idf thing and um and as you know as you said oftentimes it doesn't work and the the women that have come to see me in practice for fertility issues have usually in fact i think all of them went through the traditional fertility clinic route um you know so so to your to your point and i think you obviously see that a lot more than i do um so so let's um, circle back here to to birth control pills for just a second um, you know I don't know if you have any sort of different perspective uh, from your end with regards to birth control pills perhaps the side effects um, perhaps what they do energetically in your body or anything to that effect yeah
1: I would love to talk about that and I just wanted to add to your last point that um, there are studies that show that that when men become fathers over the age of 40 that there is a higher risk for autism, as well as bipolar disorder. So there's mm. not a lot of attention brought to that. But um, you know, there's a biological clock for men as well. And to, to the point that you made, it certainly doesn't isn't doing men any favor, favors either by ignoring any sign, you know, like, yeah. because fertility for both men and women is a marker for their, the, their overall health. So if, you know, sperm quality is an issue, then that shows that something's going on in, in their body, you know, with their overall health. And so it shouldn't be ignored.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so b- before we hop onto birth control pills, since we're talking about it what what you know let's just talk about men's men's fertility for a second um you know we haven't really spoken about it at all, but what you know have you had great success have you helped a lot of men with that, and perhaps you can shed a bit more light onto um what you would do with men uh, we'll talk about what you do with women and get into some of the tools that you use et cetera et cetera in in just a second, but yeah, perhaps you can share some more info on men's fertility sure,
1: yeah, you touched on a lot of uh what I would do for you know like you mentioned alcohol and caffeine the cutting down or eliminating those it's like what the the advantage with male fertility is that the sperm can be really responsive and sometimes it's a matter of just eliminating a few things and boom their sperm makes like this amazing comeback. Hmm. Um antioxidants hugely help sperm um so eating lots of fruits and vegetables or a lot of times i just try to get the the woman to feed her man like cuz sometimes men are a little harder to to get to be compliant <laughs> <laughs> uh but like taking a, a an organic daily antioxidant powder that can really help and stress is a big one and men um you can correct me if i'm wrong but in my in my experience men um internalize stress so much uh, whereas women we will talk to our friends we may have more outlets for um, you know processing stress but men you know they internalize it a lot of times and it probably not the most effective way for a lot of men to process stress is through exercise physical activity which makes sense from a chinese medicine point yeah. of view because that's moving that liver energy and it's the stuck liver energy that can really impact uh, fertility for both men and women because actually the, the, the liver meridian, um, from the Chinese medicine perspective, the liver, liver meridian uh, wraps around the testicles. So if you have a lot of stress, it's going huh. to directly affect your sperm health. Um, so that's a really big one. Um, stress and diet are probably the two biggest. And then there's environmental factors as well. Like all the the synthetic estrogens, you know, estrogen is in a lot of water supplies because, you know, people take their pharmaceuticals and then they pee and then it goes into the water system and the water treatment plants are not able to get rid of those. And so a lot of men, besides, you know, in like, soy products and stuff and you know i could i could go on another tangent on monsanto
0: oh let's not do that we've had enough shows on uh, monsanto and gmos and roundup (laughs) i think uh, (laughs) everyone listening probably probably ad nauseum at this point
1: (laughs) (laughs) well then your listeners are already clued in so you know that's going to affect male fertility as well
0: okay so let's um so yeah let's let's come back to birth control pills and and um yeah we'd love to get your thoughts on that
1: yeah so you know it's it's a tough one because obviously um, if when you're 16 years old you're not trying to get pregnant and uh so you can or a lot of times uh young women are put on birth control pill to regulate their cycles and and then mm-hmm. they just stay on it so not only um you know, did their cycle never really have a chance to get regulated after they got their first period or very early on in, like, their menstruating career, if you will? Uh, it, it, It never was able to regulate itself or get into a rhythm or get the support that it needed, you know, and it's understand, like... It's it's so hard if a young girl's got like debilitating cramps and stuff, and she's in high school and whatever, or maybe it's just because you know she wanted to avoid pregnancy. But anyways, she gets on birth control pill a lot of times, and she's on the pill till, you know, she she's ready to start a family. So maybe her late twenties, early thirties, maybe not even till late thirties or early forties. I mean, I've had patients who've been on were on the pill for like twenty years, and some women's bodies can kind of bounce back after that. And a lot can't or other women kind of fall somewhere in between where they can bounce back, but it takes a while or they really need support. And this is where I really wish that that in, you know, mainstream medicine was more in the know about how helpful Chinese medicine can be to like resume a healthy cycle after having been on the pill. Because that's one of the worst situations when um, to get off the pill, not be getting pregnant and then be pushed right into IVF. Because what happens is, you know, and since the woman's cycle has been pretty much shut down for however long, she comes off of it and then she's not ovulating and she's not getting a period. She's um, she has a, like because blood flow was um, inhibited to her uterine lining. She she oftentimes has a really li- light periods, really light lining. And, um, also her eggs are not maturing for ovulation. So they, they start to grow, but then they can't, they don't grow all the way. The growth becomes stunted and they turn into cysts. So a lot of women who've been on the pill for a while end up having a form of polycystic ovaries, but it's not your typical, like kind of pre-diabetic looking patient who has yeah. it's um, And so they might, and they might not look like your typical PCOS case, like they might be even underweight. And so it's kind of overlooked. And then what happens is they go to the fertility doctor and they, they give them drugs to force ovulation to happen, but that's like trying to get water from a stone. And, um, you know, it doesn't, and they're still not able to ovulate or they might ovulate, but it doesn't work that they still don't get pregnant because it's not a healthy egg. And it's just kind of a false, like okay, it's like a, an egg on steroids, but it's not. There's not real like, viable mm-hmm. material underneath it, and that. And then they say, oh, okay, so it didn't work just to give you fertility drugs to force you to ovulate. Now we're going to push you into IVF, and we're going to give you even more fertility drugs. So here you have a woman who's just like. You know, like marinating in all of these synthetic estrogens and, uh, and progesterone, synthetic hormones. Um, and it's, you know, and then this is going to set her up for a higher risk of cancer. So, and it can all be avoided.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as we're as we're going to jump into right now. So um, yeah, I think it's I think it, it's interesting that you bring that up um, just with the PCOS because you know a lot of times, especially at least from from my perspective, you know PCOS. I mean, we always think of hypoglycemia, blood sugar issues, adrenal mm-hmm. issues, and that's kind of it. And so I'm glad that you bring that up because I think most women out there, um, well, most people out there are probably quite unaware that um, there's that sort of trajectory from birth control pills to small cysts to some form of PCOS um, because the unfortunate thing is you're probably going to treat it, maybe not you, but um, most folks out there, most practitioners would treat that as a hypoglycemic adrenal issue when in actual fact, it's sort of like a, a you know birth control pill hangover, mm, um, if yeah. you will. So. Um, yeah, so let's actually just jump into a little bit more about what you do and how you approach all of this stuff. Um, and I don't know where you want to start because, I mean, there's obviously lifestyle, um, there's diets, there's some supplementation. And one thing I'm really excited to uh, talk to you about are these sort of like acupressure or acupuncture points um, that, you know, that are activation points. So I don't know wherever you feel you want to start and we'll just go from there.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, the beauty of Chinese medicine is that. W- Each woman is treated, or each patient is treated individually, so, you know, three people could come through the doors with PCOS, and it's not just like, oh, we'll do the PCOS treatment then, but of course there's overlap, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, so... We look at the person individually, like, you know, what, are they underweight or overweight? You know, it's part of the issue because there's a history of malnutrition. For instance, a lot of the, the kind of the PCOS cases that I've seen post birth control pill use and the woman's overweight, underweight, um, I've also seen them maybe have more of a tendency of like possible eating disorder, you know, not eating enough or like having, you um, been over exercises like really fitness oriented and maybe even in the high in high school they had an irregular cycle because they you know were in athletics and so they they weren't really having regular periods because their body just didn't have the resource you know you need fats to make the hormones are built from fats and cholesterol so um Mm -hmm. so you know that's going to be a different situation than a woman who's overweight you know and and uh, there's you know, digestive issues or whatever the underlying um, cause may be. So it's individualized, but then at the same time, when it comes to regulating hormones, the, the liver is always involved. Um, smooth flow of liver energy, as we would put it in Chinese medicine, the liver energy is responsible for regulating the menstrual cycle and regulating the smooth flow of qi and blood throughout the body for both men and women, and a lot of times the liver energy is backed up whenever you have any kind of hormonal irregularities. On top of that, when you know the liver is what's going to be processing all of these medications that they've been on, so it can get congested and it needs help so that it can metabolize the synthetic hormones that are stuck in the system and uh, excrete them out of the body. So that's definitely one of the the approaches using both um, acupoints, whether it's acupressure, acupuncture, um, and of course, diet, nutrition. And I often have, uh, I, I suggest that women do a cleanse as well. And you know, I, there's a specific protocol, cleanse protocol that I like to use, but you know, not just, I, I wouldn't recommend that, you know, that your listeners just go and and Google like a cleanse, as I'm sure you know, because there's a million different cleanses out there. And many of them oh, yeah. are not helpful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. So would, would you say then that a cleanse that, you know, because obviously cleansing can be, holy smokes, it could be anything, right? Do you feel that a cleanse that specifically targets the liver and gallbladder would would be a good point to start, or a good place to yeah, start? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Definitely help supporting the liver, and, gallbladder.
0: Mm-hmm. and i assume you would you would use from a chinese um, medicine perspective like herbal concoctions to do that you know, I, as well as acupuncture i actually
1: use um a metagenics cleanse um so you no know, I, okay. I don't use an herbal cleanse because with herbs um and you i definitely like support herbs but um as far as this cleanse i've just gotten really good results with and Um, you know, an herbal cleanse, I think should be individually uh, prescribed, you know, like I don't use herbs for general purposes. I only use herbs like when I'm Mm. specifically prescribing for that individual, but the cleanse that I use can be used generally. Like I found that so many women have had really good results with it. And so for women, like I've had patients, um, who have like this one patient I'm thinking of she had stage four endometriosis diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve. She was like 40 years old. She had had two failed IVF cycles. Her doctor said that there's no hope for her. And then, um, she did my online program. And then she also did this cleanse that I rec- recommend that everybody start off with. And, um, She got pregnant naturally two months later, even though she was told that there was no hope for her and all all this stuff. So I've gotten really good results with this particular cleanse. Uh, But I also recommend that before um, they do the cleanse, that they do a gut healing program because I learned this actually from a functional medicine Guy that I took a continuing education class from, and it's it's like his whole deal, uh, but that it's important to heal any leaky gut before you do a cleanse, otherwise mm-hmm. that all the toxins that are pulled out of the tissue can just be recirculating in the system, which explains why a lot of people feel kind of sick when they do any kind of cleanse so that's
0: my personal. Yeah, it's uh, not, uh, Yeah, and the analogy I use is um you know you don't you got to open the windows and doors before you start sweeping the floor. Mm. You know because otherwise you're just uh, moving dirt from one side of the room to the other side and not actually uh, getting things out of the body, and that can absolutely make you feel way worse than when uh-huh. you started um you know essentially technically called translocation of of toxins you know from one part of the body to another and you know if you start moving things like metals around uh, and that sort of thing it's it's not good news at all um it can be be pretty uh pretty detrimental so that's um so that's that's interesting um and that's cool i like that you're you have a very open-minded approach um you know because i've definitely worked with some tcm people myself and um have spoken with practitioners who are very much like hard-lined mm-hmm. you know it's like we only use tcm and we only use herbal concoctions that i don't even know what they are <laughs> um etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah so that's cool now um uh for, from a dietary perspective i mean is it is it again like super individualized or do you feel that there are some you know uh, core foundational foods that most women would benefit from
1: um core, yeah i'm more of the, on the line of like kind of core foundational foods or just core foundational um parameters uh nowadays you know i i recommend at least um until they've done the gut healing protocol that I recommend, which is also a met- Metagenics product, or if they have inflammatory conditions or autoimmune, that they eliminate the major inflammatory triggers like gluten, dairy, soy, corn. Mm, um, mm. And and then, you know, there's some Chinese medicine parameters, like not eating cold foods, which I imagine you've probably had this conversation with other practitioners. Uh-huh. Yes,
0: yeah. And with, and with a lot of my clients, you know, and I think um, relative to, I think it's a good thing that you bring up and, and I would love to speak to that because, you know, um, we're in, I'm in Canada right now and today is minus nine. Mm-hmm. Oh my okay, God, I woke up to a foot of snow. Um, yeah, it's, that's minus nine Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, oh but it's freaking cold. Okay. It's cold. So I woke up to about a foot of snow, just shy of a foot of snow. So that's what I was doing this morning, but um, funnily enough, I had a couple of people uh, of my clients, and I've had so many students over the years. They can't understand why their health, in general, but particularly um, cycles and particularly digestion, is not functioning properly in the winter. And what happens is they're doing smoothies oh. in the mornings. They're doing lots of fruits because fruits are healthy. Then we're doing you know some protein and a salad for lunch. And, you know, more juicing or something in the afternoon. So, you know, we think that we're doing something very good for our body. But if you're of the wrong constitution, you know, from an Ayurvedic perspective, if you are very vada, which is, you know, the the properties of cold, dry and rough, um, and you keep eating cold, dry and rough foods, you're essentially going to throw your constitution right out of whack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of what's governed by air and ether in the body is, is the digestive tract. You know, it's just a tube that runs through the center of your body. And so, this is why, you know, uh, perhaps you want to talk about that, but, um, you know, cold foods, cold drying foods can just really be so problematic for a lot of people. And for myself personally, going back many years, I used to get really, really, really dry skin in the winter, coming into the fall in the winter, and, and I never understood what was going on. You know, I was, again, eating the right things, quote unquote. And, once I started learning about that, the, the one fall, I, I literally just stopped eating all raw foods and I ate cooked foods. And I never, ever got dry skin mm-hmm. ever again, just by honoring the seasons, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because, um, you know, again, plenty of people out there doing the right thing and just getting mm-hmm. worse, in, in fact.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's so many, yeah. you know, fads that come in and out. And I don't know if it's a big trend up in um, – in canada but you know there's this medical medium who's hit the scene and he just preaches that everybody needs to have celery juice all the time and that's chinese medicine practitioners are like ah you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah talk to me about that because i saw you had um i think you did a facebook oh, yeah, live recently that. <laughs> uh, uh, on that i didn't actually watch the whole thing um but i've done a very short podcast um by myself on the celery juice fad. Um, I, obviously looking at it through a different lens, but yeah, tell me a little bit about that. I know we're going off on a tangent, but I think a lot of listeners would would appreciate your insight.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it's like you just said, it's constitutionally, I mean, it, it might work for some people, you know, it might be just what some mm. people need, or maybe they were so toxic before that like having some fruits and vegetables now and having a lot of celery juice is, is going to improve them compared to what they were doing before. But it can cause a lot of damage yeah. for other people. It's like um you know, like you mentioned the smoothies, and when I was f- first in practice, kale smoothies were the thing and uh, like the oh
0: gosh yeah. <laughs>
1: And I'm like, cow yeah. is yeah. wonderful. It's super nutritious. It's great for you b- when it's cooked. You know, this is a Chinese medicine perspective. When it's not, it's going to drain your your digestive energy and cause further problems. And then it was, you know, two or three years later that studies were coming out showing that, oh, look at this. Um, all this raw kale can actually contribute to hypothyroidism. And
0: mm. Yeah, because of the goitrogens, right?
1: Um, I I don't know if that's what it is, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, I think that's what they're technically called. I think is um, well. I know they're they're called goitrogens, ah. which essentially block they it blocks iodine absorption ah. in your body, which which then that affects your thyroid. So there's debate about that, which we're not going to get into. But um, but yeah, carry on. I mean, I I, I love what you're saying because I totally get it.
1: Well, in in short, from a Chinese medicine perspective, your digestive system is like a pot over a fire. And, um, and I liken it like the fire would be maybe say your like digestive enzymes. So when you put, um, a lot of like cold food, damp foods, so if you're having like a lot of cold fruit, or if you're having a lot of raw kale, raw celery juice, etc., in that pot or a lot of dairy or grease or anything, then that's going to make, that's going to be a lot harder. It's going to take a lot longer for, and more energy for that fire underneath the pot to die to break all of that down so that your body can assimilate that nutrition. And so when that fire gets low and it's about to go out because it's like working so hard to break down all this stuff, then it's gonna need a kind of a backup Um, source of warmth. And that will that that backup source of warmth comes from um, the kidney energy from a Chinese medicine perspective, which is like your life force energy. It's also the energy that fuels reproduction. And so not only Hmm. Is your digestive energy going to be weak? That's going to weaken this life force energy and this reproductive energy to try to break down this food. And then what happens when it's not, it's in this pot and it's, you know, being broken down, but it's not able to efficiently and like completely do that you're going to have like a lot of residual fluids and undigested food and so the nutrition isn't going to be as available and then you you can also have phlegm different fluids that are now going to be in your system that can cause different issues like you know obviously like phlegm in your lungs or but that those fluids can be anywhere in your body so that's how we see it from hmm. from our perspective and and then throughout the day you know there's a circadian rhythm so at different times in the day, your organ is, pe- or different organ systems are peaking. So your digestive organs are peaking in the morning. And so this is when you really want to have like a warm breakfast, healthy breakfast, nutrient-rich breakfast that's going to kind of set you up for the day and also, um, you know, feed into that digestive energy. But a lot of times people skip breakfast or they have a cold breakfast, you know, they have that smoothie or celery juice and then you're just kind of like it's another it's like a one-two punch to to your digestive energy so that's how we. See
0: it. So, so what we're, okay yeah and that makes total sense so you, you know you you bring something up that I, again um is another i don't want to call that a fad because there is a lot of research um it's been a, it's, a, it's a time time old practice but what are your thoughts on the idea of intermittent fasting mm. for women with fertility issues you know, because uh, let me just preface that with the fact that a lot of women are doing intermittent fasting in the morning. Um, so relative to what you just said, I mean, do you have any insight on that?
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan for all of the reasons that I just explained. And I also feel that hmm. um, what's dangerous about intermittent, I'm a, my, my personal approach is all about sustainability. So I feel like intermittent fasting is probably a difficult thing to sustain, even if it does work for you. Maybe it's something that I know some people that have been overweight and it helped them to lose some weight. And so that can be a healthy thing. And they felt really good um i don't know enough about it to 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 speak from and to say well this is good about it and this isn't good about it Because it yeah, just yeah, yeah. isn't it in yeah. line with what i you know with my practices um, and so but maybe for the short term if it's just like well i really need to lose some weight but but for that to be a kind of a lifelong practice it doesn't um doesn't feel sustainable to me and it also could trigger um eat like if you have a tendency to any disordered eating which a lot of yeah. people men and women have i think it can trigger that pattern and again it's not you're you're going to deplete your you're, you're going to challenge your metabolism from a chinese medicine perspective because that your digestive energy is strongest in the morning
0: Interesting, yeah, and I mean, I have my own thoughts on that, um, both both positive and negative, uh, for that matter, so you know one, one thing I will just say i 'll throw out there from my perspective is that for a lot of women, you know your your cortisol levels in the morning, so your adrenal hormones in the morning are very high mm-hmm. uh, for some women, and when you do intermittent fasting, it can send the cortisol levels higher, and what that will do is that will impact your thyroid gland. Mm. And so we know that hypothyroidism. So I'm talking now about long term. I'm not talking short term. So long term, you know, you could be stressing out your thyroid gland. And obviously, we know that one of the causes for uh, fertility is low basal body temperature, which can be traced back to low thyroid function. So, um, you know, for those of you listening out there, um, just maybe consider that um, if you're dealing with fertility issues or hormone issues generally um you know just just really do a little bit of homework and experimentation with intermittent fasting um in the morning particularly okay so um talk to me a little bit because uh, I, I am you know now being conscious of your time here um but talk to me about emotions because i know there's a huge emotional component um, surrounding fertility especially from a chinese medicine perspective and then i am definitely going to get you to talk about some acupressure points before i let you go
1: all right. Sounds good. So, um, well, emotions. You know, Chinese medicine. There's no separation between uh, your emotional health, your mental health, and your physical health. They're all one and the same. So, obviously, if you're thinking, so, mm-hmm. if you're stressed out, if you're emotionally upset, if your me- if your mind is spinning, you can feel it in your body. Um, you just. It's just they're inseparable, and Chinese medicine just has such a beautiful, sophisticated understanding of specifically how certain emotions affect specific organ systems. So for instance, the liver, um, the liver, which is the wood element, um, and there's the five elements in each primary organ system has, a. and like liver is wood, kidneys are water, lungs are metal. Um, digestion is earth. And, uh, what did I, what did I miss? Fire, earth, metal, water, wood. Um, Heart, yeah, the heart is fire. So, with liver, the the wood element, um, anger is the emotion associated with that organ system. And actually, the liver kind of uh, filters all emotions. So if you're if you have any. repressed emotions, it will affect that liver energy. Because again, the liver energy is responsible for the smooth flow of chi and blood throughout your whole body. So if you're like, uh, resisting, you know, allowing an emotion to be processed and move through you, the liver is going to take a hit. But the primary emotion that affects the liver is anger. So Um, you know, and a lot of, and this is a big one, especially for women, uh, because we're kind of conditioned to believe that we're not, we shouldn't be angry. We're not allowed to be angry. Um, And so, you know, a lot of anger gets repressed and that it, it backs up that liver energy. And then if it's, if the, if the anger is not, processed and then integrated, then it gets stored in the body. And so that stuck energy can affect hormonal balance. It can affect, um, it can cause actual, then it can cause like blood to also get stuck. So it can cause actual physical blockages as well. So for instance, like endometriosis or fibroids, um, you know, part of what can contribute to that pattern can be uh, repressed anger. I mean, there's a lot of trauma, you know, and obviously, if you've gone when you go through trauma there's gonna be an element of anger as well and mm. and uh, that gets stored in various parts of the body so a lot of times women'll you know they'll go and they'll get or anyone will go and get acupuncture do the acupressure points, and they'll have emotions come up because it's moving that energy in in the physical body, but it's also moving the mental and emotional energy as well, so they might start to cry out of nowhere or feel this overwhelming like anger suddenly rise up and so you know I really like try to um support women as well to you know do journaling or get therapy or to really um process their emotions as well because you're going to it just goes hand in hand with healing yourself physically is also allowing yourself to integrate, you know, repressed emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously things like meditation or cognitive behavioral therapy or Tai Chi or any of those things would be very good for that. Um, uh, as, you know, as an outside um well, as an external service, if you will, um, you know, I do that a lot with people is, you know, say, hey, look, there's an emotional component here, I can speak to some of it, but maybe perhaps work with um, someone who's, who's a bit more well versed, um, or start doing some type of daily practice to, uh, to work through that. So...
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so talk to me about the acupressure or acupuncture points. And I know we're doing this on audio. Um, so uh, it's a little bit of charades here, but perhaps you can just share. Um, give us a visual explanation, if you will, of the key acupressure points.
1: There's there's a lot of them. So that's a little bit tricky. Okay. <laughs> Fair um, enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of um, – I mean, I could maybe walk you through a, a point that um, – that's used frequently and kinda of as a, a sort of a demo, but sure. um okay. So yeah, there's you know, there's a combination of points that by the protocols in my program that I, you know, I teach the the points to to women to use to support their cycle. There's, you know, four different phases throughout their cycle. So I have different protocols throughout each phase because there's different goals of each phase. I, I talked about it a little yeah. bit earlier, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, before ovulation, you want to support the body's yin energy and you want to support the, the rebuilding of the uterine lining and maturing a healthy egg and so forth. Um, so the protocols, uh, the combination combination of points in each protocol vary throughout the cycle or whether it's, you know, the goal is to support a fertility treatment. And the combinations of points, um, some of the points are just, you know, they are known for being really great for fertility. They circulate, circulate directly to the reproductive organs. And then there are other points that will um, support, you know, the digestive energy, which is really important. It's always really important for mm. for everything. Yeah. Uh, but for instance, you know, during that follicular phase, when you're rebuilding the uterine lining, you really want your your digestion to be strong so that you can, um, you know, make healthy new fresh blood cells, and you know, you really make use of the nutrients that you're eating, because it's not just about what you put into your body, but also your body's ability to assimilate that nutrition. So there you're supporting all of the other systems as well that are in relationship to your reproductive system to support fertility. And then there's combinations of points that are used with each other that kind of do both at the same time. So, or better guide the energy. So you might have one point that directs, um, Uh, chi and blood flow to the uterus, for example, and then you might have another point that helps your body to build healthy, fresh new blood cells. And then you use those together and you're delivering fresh, healthy new blood to the uterus. So that's how the protocols are designed. So it can be kind of complex. And I say this too, because a lot of people might think, oh, let me just go and, you know, Google some acupressure points. Right, right, (laughs) right. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's, it's, you know, and that, that can, you can, and it can help, but you also have to be, um, you know, some points can be, you don't want to use if you have, if you are pregnant or you, you know, you're in the Got implantation it. phase and some, you know, it might not be as effective, um, but, but points chosen by, and, you know, a licensed acupuncturist. And so there's, there's a lot to it. And when you, you know, combine them in a specific protocol, you can, you can really um, work some magic. Uh, so, a point that I will walk you through right now. Um, this one is is uh, on your chest. Um, it's called Ren Seventeen, and it's right in the center of your chest on your sternum. So, the sternum is that. You know, I know you know, but for your listeners, so your sternum is that. Uh, um, that bone right in the center of your chest, the bony area between your breasts, between your, you know, breasts, whether guy or girl, I'll just say breasts. <laughs> um, and if you uh, go down and basically get to a point that would be in line with your nipples. Um, of course, this can vary. Like if you're a large-breasted woman versus you know a smaller-breasted woman. Um, but you'll feel a tenderness. So if if you just imagine like the the point that's in line with your nipples, right on your sternum, um, and you feel a point that's particularly tender, then you're probably in the right place. So are you following me, Brett? Uh,
0: I am, and I found it, and it's super tender.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> so <laughs> this point is a few different things. Um, for one thing, it affects the chi of your your whole body. So it helped by just, and I prefer um, massaging this point in a, clockwise direction. So I'm just using my thumb and I'm putting kind of a mild pressure on it so that I do feel a little bit of tenderness, but I'm not pushing so hard that it's causing a bruise or I'm like, Oh, this really hurts. Um, and I'm just rubbing it in a circular direction and, in um, clockwise. And so this is, uh, a point that affects the chi of your whole body. So it's a good point to use if you're really tired throughout the day and, you know, or you just need an an energy boost and you massage this point for about um, one to three minutes, then it will help increase your energy and it'll help to spread that energy throughout your whole body. So it'll give you a nice boost. It also opens up the chest area. So again, you know, when we're hunched over at a computer or if you're somebody who has asthma or allergies, this can, this point can really help if you're wheezing or having trouble breathing. Um, And so it just kind of opens up your chest and allows you to take in more chi, more life force energy. And then it's also a point that affects um, the pericardium um, channel. So both, you know, the, the pericardium is the heart protector from both a Western And Eastern perspective, it's literally an organ that covers the heart and protects it, uh, but also energetically, it's considered the heart protector. So, you know, we were just talking about the emotional aspect Mm. of, um, you know, health and fertility, as well as you know, just being on your fertility journey is it's such a vulnerable roller coaster ride. So, this point is a good point to release. Uh, those, those energy, the emotional energy that's kind of stuck and built up. And I've had, I've, you know, people I've done like some live challenges, teaching people this acupressure point, and they've just like started crying out of nowhere, but in a good way, like in a, in a a way to release that energy. So it helps you to feel safe emotionally, um, so that you can release and move some of that trapped emotional energy.
0: Cool. It's Love also it.
1: on. Um, one more thing about it: it's on a channel. It's called the Ren Channel, which means the conception channel. So this um, this channel circulates directly to your reproductive organs. So by massaging this point, you're also opening up the energetic flow of that channel, so that you're helping to facilitate circulation to the reproductive organs. And because it builds up the chi of the body, you're you're going to have more energy to circulate there.
0: Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was awesome. I learned a ton um, just by one acupressure point. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. <laughs> so um, I think um, that's, that's good. I think we covered a lot there. And before I let you go, obviously, I'm going to put all of your um, links and all that good stuff uh, down in the show notes. But anywhere that you want to um, highlight or direct people to in terms of where they can find you, um, follow you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera,
1: yeah, they can find me on my website, HeidiBrockMeyer.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, all that good Pinterest. Um, there's a free Facebook group called Balance and Restore that you can join where there's a, a ton of like-minded women and, um, that are supporting each other on their fertility journeys. And I share a lot of my resources there. So that's a good one. But you can find you can find out about that on my website, HeidiBrockMeyer.com meyer.com I have a blog there with tons of information and I have a new free masterclass I recently released it's probably going to be in the, the um the notes the links that you'll share and it's my um for my four step method to reset your fertility. And people seem to really like that. So it's a really good starting place.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. Um, I really appreciate it. And, you know, great um, perspective and insight from your part. Uh, Love the work that you're doing. And um, for our listeners out there, um, I know that I'm pretty sure that you got a different perspective on fertility and women's health from a Chinese medicine perspective. So um, thanks so much for stopping by, Heidi.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Brett. Stay warm up there. Yes. That sounds really
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's all good. Uh, I love winter. Um, I got no, pro- no problems, nice. but I love summer too. So the seasons, you know, I appreciate the seasons. Um, all right, everyone. So thanks for tuning in to another episode. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please subscribe, leave us a review, share this. Uh, yelp it tweet it do whatever you got to do and most importantly share this with your friends your family and your community Uh, especially episodes like this where um, you know so many women are having or so many couples are having um, issues with fertility so thanks again for tuning in and you have a beautiful day wherever you are